It is indeed where you're at, and uh, 26 minutes it is after 8 p.m. And you can register Panaku Facebook and Bandu Makubalo saying he's tuned in all the way out at Kailicha and also the blondes, the blondes out in Kabecha, and yeah, Gwanda Wengosi. All the way out in Gonyameni. And uh, yeah, some asking about uh, tickets to the Carling Black Label Cup. Ima wow. Ima wow. Sapolo Makriha, all the way out in Stack Sprayt. And uh, yeah, uh, saying he's all the way with us. Sure. Hi. We leave that one. Uh, in the next few minutes, joined on the line. By Yasaki Zamkaka, we talk about the relief for crisis. Uh, uh, yeah, crisis torn small businesses out in the townships. Utomnye kwalo lusu laba pula pulu sbali nate mundi indeed. Man potise kwa kombo all the way out uh, in East London and uh, also uh, to all of you who are listening to us uh, all the way out in places like Cape Town and you know Kabecha uh, all the way out in Pulukwane Mabato Mawiking and. Anywhere else in Bukone Bopirima with us all the way through uh, our discussions for tonight. Now, that being said, joined on the line tonight to talk about the things that matter in many of our communities. And one of those is uh, how we uh, navigate crisis of small businesses based out in townships. Now, the SMME Crisis Partnership Fund uh, is looking to remedy the lack of funding experienced by township-based small business. And, uh, yeah, it's a coming together here. And uh, we must welcome this. It's a coming together of development financing institutions. Uh, but also a recognition by these institutions that there are massive funding market failures that confront small business and small businesses. There are a lot of other funding market failures that confront small businesses who happen to be located in our townships. To tell us a bit more about this coming together and also, I guess, how you can access this as a small business operator in the province of Gauteng, I'm joined on the line by Saki Zamklaka. He's the CEO of the Gauteng Enterprise Propeller. Good evening. Welcome. Thank you, Ayabonga. Good evening. Yeah, let's maybe start off here, uh, Prasagi. I mean, I'm quite interested in the coming together. We'll come back to the nuts and bolts, the criteria, who qualifies for the fund. But why did you feel at this stage that you are not going to do this as GEP alone or the SASME fund or even the Industrial Development Corporation, but it might make more sense to come together? No, thank you, Ayabonga. Um, there's a couple of reasons. Actually, the one big reason was that, you know, over the past couple of years when government and labor and business and civil society came together and said, what are the things that can be done either to avert uh, possible downgrades then or to inject economic growth? Um, one of the key, you know, of the four in main initiatives at the time was financing of small businesses. Mm. And then there was a decision then that private sector would come to the party, but also government would come to the party. Now, one of the things that's always been very interesting in South Africa because we have a highly regulated financial services market is that there's been very little appetite for risk capital. Mm. And to get into that risk capital, government then has to do certain things um, to unlock private sector to come in. And one of those basic things was government must then show that it can take more risk. Um, so we set up uh, these funds as the causes um, to say government will then take you know, the first loss uh, up to 20%. Mm. 
um, and then the eighty percent. Well, I mean, if a, a business loses money, everybody loses. So it's not, you know, you lose 20 cents and I lose 80. Everybody loses. Yeah. How different is but that from traditional funding? So when you say government takes first loss, how different is that if I walk into a blue bank, get a loan as a township-based enterprise? How different is the outcome? Or I guess what distinguishes this intervention? So a, a couple of things make it different. So firstly, the idea here is really to fund the kind of things that traditional banks don't fund. So, for example, purchase order financing. Mm. While it may seem very simple, a lot of entrepreneurs work very hard, they get a contract, and now they think, okay, I have a contract, I can be funded. But then, you know, traditional banks will look at it and say, well, you have no track record, and, you know, we can't see where your cash flows historically may have been, and this is too risky because generally for them, they have to allocate capital to the risk, what they call value at risk. So there are rules on how there's risk because they've deposited money. So firstly, these, these funds are allowing us to bank people who would otherwise not be banked, even though they may have contracts as an advantage. The other one, I mean, when we were launching this fund, we were in a township where there is the upgrade of rental. Um, in township areas. Now, most of those houses generally have historical issues about title deeds. There may be issues about bulk infrastructure. There may be issues about zoning. But there may also be a risk of, you are now a small-time entrepreneur who just wants to do eight rooms in your yard. But the bank says, we need a feasibility. Now you've got to pay money for a feasibility to design now, you have somebody who said, well, I've tested the market, I've done the feasibility, and I have solutions that can be implemented. So that's the big one where the financing are people who would otherwise not be financed. And then the second one is then the cost of the funding. Sure, sure. Because we then said, okay, government is taking a little bit more risk, so the perceived risk is shifted and the cost of funding is a bit lower. We want you to do certain things we can do, but you must price them less than you would ordinarily price them. And, and, and I mean, just on that pricing, I guess, as you say, a lot of concessionality, you know, because this should be distinguishable as something being driven by development funding institutions than something in the traditional space. Talk to me about the other criteria. I mean, is there any sectoral criteria beyond the fact that you must be located in a township? Is there an expectation that you must be a certain category of business? Because we know a micro-enterprise turning over 50,000 rand per annum is very different to even a small business turning over maybe four or five million. Um, no, you're right. Uh, so for now, we've not set minimum standards on what business um, and what turnovers or the size of the loan in the fund that is going to have. The big criteria is whether the business is viable. Um, and, and interestingly, I mean, if you look at the, at the micro-lending environment, um, there's actually a lot of entities that we pay. So some of the, you know, one to 10,000 rand, um, a transaction kind of loan, has actually high repayment rates. Some of it may have to do with, you know, some sort of social security system where people know each other. But a lot of it is because this is somebody who needs a thousand rand to pay for the stock 
hoping they go sell the stock in the next couple of days, come back again for another thousand runs. And they know that once that funding line is cut, that's the end of their survival. So there's usually a real big incentive for them to keep the funding lines open, even though they are micro. And that's what we are focusing on, that you know, the funding is not so much social development related, not that it's not important. There are other departments that do social development, but from our side is to look at the enterprise. Um, so it may be an individual, but they they running an enterprise that is sustaining them. Because, I mean, let's say somebody who turns over a thousand rands a day, that's a 30,000 rands a month business if they're operating on a daily basis. Or if it's working days, that's 20,000 rands. And maybe at a 2% margin, they're making, you know, 4,000 rands. So they can make some sort of living almost equivalent to what the minimum wage may be, you know, for the certain hours that they're working. So those are the kinds of activities you not only want to sustain, but you want to allow them to have access to capital to bring them to the next level. Mm. One of the other issues, I guess, is around barriers to accessing this. I mean, you know, by its nature, credit markets or funding requires some information about the frequency and the volume of the transactions that go through a business. Yet, I think a study done by the uh, Gauteng Provincial Economic Development Department, which is, um, you know, your, I guess, uh, principal political department uh, a few months ago suggested that many of those who had filled out a departmental survey suggested uh, in township-based businesses that many didn't have a bank account. So what are the alternative ways in which you being able to, I guess, assess price and score some of the risk of the businesses you're going to be funding here? So what we basically on our side trying to do is to encourage the businesses to have a certain basic level of compliance. Okay. And, and one of the ways we are then encouraging that is to say, um, so we have as GP what you call business development support, and many entities like um, your small enterprise finance agency, um, CETA, you know, have these sort of packages where they can pay for training, they can pay for, you know, certain basic compliance and there's a couple of reasons why that is important. So the first one is that because we have public funds, we've got to account on how we are dispersing them. So if we pay you money and you don't have a bank account, where do we pay the money to? Um, because we then have to get into a realm of you know, operating in cash, which is very risky because how do you prove who the money went into? And we now know that in the financial services, I mean, despite the barriers to entry, at least access to a basic bank account has been made cheaper. And there's advanced accounts, there's new banks now um, that are coming in and the fees are being lowered. So we're encouraging people to at least have a bank account. And if you need, you know, to have a registered entity, would rather pay on your behalf to have a registered entity. And mm. um, I mean, SARS is not going to get you to have a VAT registration unless you meet a minimum threshold of your turnover. Yeah, which is one million. And, yeah? Yeah. Exactly. And then if you, you know, uh, even for income tax, if you below certain bracket, you know, it's either zero returns or there is minimal tax that you pay. So we sort of encourage people rather to do those things and we can help them with the cost of compliance 
than to say they mustn't comply. And we saw during COVID where businesses had to prove that they operated. And if there's no documentary evidence that you operated, it became difficult for them, um, you know, to get assistance. And the Sarsaria, there was the UIF, and many others where the cost is not that big. Part of it is, you know, is awareness and maybe even the cost of them putting the admin together. But in a time of crisis, this can come in very handy because, again, if you know you give somebody money because you, they say they were affected and there's no proof, when auditors come, they would then deem this either irregular or make a qualification that we can rely on your representation because we, we don't know who you put the money into. So there are those checks and balances because of institutions mm-hmm. of government or even corporates, unfortunately, have to comply with. But for it not to be a bad to the ultimate receiver of the fund, then, you know, you absorb some of the costs as a DFI. When you say this is a crisis fund, I mean, should my business have uh, been affected by sort of COVID-19, the riots, um, or even what's happening out in Ukraine or Russia? I mean, how do we sort of calibrate what is deserving of being deemed a crisis and deserving of the funds here? And what might not be? Okay, so <clears throat> so I know, this is one of those where you know the the, the name already existed, oh, okay, and we sure. just we just literally didn't want to create a new structure and and Keto and team already had this crisis fund. Really, all it was was that SMEs are in a crisis and something must be done. Mm. Um, so that's where the name comes from. But it's not that for you to be able to apply, you need to have had to face a an event of crisis, except that you are an SME that needs, you know, access to funding. So, so no, it's not. It's not like um, those ones which were about you got to prove you are affected by COVID. You got to prove you are affected by the looting. Mm. Any SME can apply to the different, you know, initiatives that are taking place. Okay. All right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And then maybe lastly. How do, how do uh, many of the business people listening to us access uh, uh, these resources? Uh, is there a window within which they can apply? And if so, you know, uh, how do they go about doing that? Um, so thank you. So there is not a defined window. It's really about access to, to the funds. Um, so there are various ways to do it. The first one is that because of this fund that was set up every time within make an announcement of a new partner, you can apply to that partner. So GEP, you apply to its website with the website and all applications go through it and you must submit all the required information and, and then you'll get a, a reference number which you can use to follow up. So GEP, you can apply directly. Okay. Then some of the information you can get on the SASME website on who are some of the participating partners one of them, as an example, on the uh, uh, rentals in the townships, which we launched in Tembisa, is called Inju. Mm. So you can apply directly to Inju for those who want rentals in townships. One of them is Profit Share Partners. Um, you can apply to them for um, uh, purchase order funding and contract finance. There's the uh, Creed Capital. You can also apply to them. And we announced 
them, as I said, as we tie up uh, these agreements. So there are those various partners, and some of the information we'll also put on our website so that you can know on some of the specialized funds. Because either than just the cost of the funding, part of what these partnerships have helped us are people who found innovative ways of funding certain markets. Mm. Like, you know, the rentals in townships where the security is the business, not so much the property. Because, you know, some of the properties are difficult to bond. So you basically rely on the cash flows that come out of it. So we then rely on those individuals who are bringing innovation to do certain things, and that's why they are our partners in in coming to the party. But most of them have also brought money to the table uh, because SASME contributed equally to GEP and the IDC. And of course, I I mean, how how do you align if, if, um, and I don't know if this is the case, but if you're your credit criteria might be different? Uh, or is there a new set of criteria you've all collectively agreed to here? And based on that, you'll have, a, I guess, a common team that is assessing all of these applications. So there is generally a common theme. Um, and a lot of these entities actually have um, even been a little bit ahead of government uh, on, on their innovation on funding. As an example, mm. as a disqualifier, uh, for access to funding. If the contract is solid and the payer of that contract is solid, not sure. level. So there are those innovations that have been coming and they are really welcome. And of course, there are ways of then mitigating the risk of non-payment so that mm. you are not seen as being reckless in the way that you do. But these are funding solutions which are not your traditional credit solutions in terms of NCR and, you know, you got to follow this and that to fund people. These are more investment banking solutions at mm-hmm. a small scale. So the criteria is actually really friendly to entrepreneurs. Um, it's access, as I said, that would ad- otherwise not happen with, you know, traditional credit um, financiers. It's, it's more investment solutions that are based on understanding the target market. Sure, sure. Just hold the line there for a second uh, for me. We've got one of our voice notes there. Uh, take a listen to this. Sure, Dumza. So yes, the gentleman is correct. I mean, historically we've had a lot of, you know, backlogs on the applications. Even now we're working through them. Sometimes the applications take a bit longer than they should, but we do encourage them that you reach out to us um, either on the inquiries at gp.co.za email or call us with a reference number to track where your application um, has been. We have a lot of volumes. I mean, our budget and we've been engaging with the province outside of these funds, the money that we lend directly is still less than $100 million. And for a province as big as Gauteng, um, it does bring a lot of challenge because you have a lot more volumes of applications than you can actually approve. So yes, part of sure. we can. Prasaki, we're going to have to leave it there for tonight. Always a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much for your time.